If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. In the latter stages of this past weekend into early Monday, I noticed this growing hockey story out in Ukraine. Uh, which I'm sure that you've probably seen. I'm sure that uh, a few other of our listeners and other people around the hockey world have seen. Uh, It's a shame we have to keep discussing race and racism when it comes to hockey, but that seems to be the case out in the Ukraine in the UHL after a player basically just mimed or mocked uh, uh, being a monkey eating a banana towards a black player not to kind of start off on a heavy start i know we'll get to other topics later on in in the second episode of the chris johnston show we'll get into the all or nothing amazon series we'll also talk about player vaccinations and that whole story as well we may even have an rfa update but i think it was very important that uh, we address this story uh involving andre deniskin uh, peeling a banana and and eating supposedly trying to eat in front of a Black player named Jalen Schmerich, uh, an American-born player. Chris, I, I know I'm kind of rambling off on the intro here, but this was just something that was just kind of bothersome to me. And I think it's important that we discuss this story. It is. Um, and look, judging by the reaction, it was bothersome to a lot of people, Julian. And, and you know, if there's any small little bit of positive that we can take from it, I think, is seeing the amount of voices from around the hockey world that were very quick to come out and condemn this. Uh, to call for Deniskin to face, you know, a serious penalty. And that's still, you know, currently up for debate. The, the International Ice Hockey Federation and the league in Ukraine are still working through their disciplinary process. But I think it's safe to say that this is going to be a very, very, very lengthy suspension. And, you know, I, I you just hope that, you know, for Jalen Schmerich, for anyone else, and there's a lot of people in our game, of course, that you know, I've had to live through incidents like this, you know, probably not as bad as this. I mean, my, your gut reaction when you see that just repulsive, reprehensible, uh, hard to believe that, that you would see something like that. And so, you know, with the benefit of social media, something that happens in a league that most people, even hockey fans didn't know existed, you know, pretty quickly gets beamed, you know, through social media to our phones and our tablets, what have you. And, and a lot of people are able to see that. And hopefully it at least just brings yet awareness you know you'd rather it didn't happen of course but that this conversation you know keeps it front of mind that that yes this isn't something we have to talk about in the past tense it's something that a lot of players and athletes still deal with 
Yeah. And you brought up the player reactions and, and personnel. Like, I, I mean, James Duffy from TSN was like the first, I guess, hockey media person I saw a comment on this and, and he straight up condemned it. I've seen some other past and present NHL players, including Anthony DeClaire, who mentioned, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, that he's he's essentially waiting on this suspension and, and this could have an impact on on the hockey world in a sense with how this kind of stuff could be judged. Do you get that same sentiment? Because I feel like it should. And I know I've seen other people say like, oh, you know, there should be a lifetime ban thrown at this guy. And I'm wondering if they're even considering that. But do you do you subscribe to that theory that like a suspension like this, even if it's in the Ukraine of all places, like this is something that like everyone should be taking note of? I wouldn't have been sure quite honestly, and until seeing just the volume of, of conversation about this, you know, sometimes it's easy to turn your head the other way, right? Especially, you know, for me, let's call it as it is. I'm a white man. I'm in Canada, even though I cover hockey for a living, you know, I, I, I've never had any association with that league. It's easy to, to look past it. And, and, you know, I think it's nice that that, that didn't happen. Uh, you know, Emily Castingay, who's a, an agent uh, for uh, Lafreniere and a few other players, I liked her suggestions. He said it should be a lifetime ban because teams should just decide they're not going to sign them. You know, it doesn't matter what the, the league says or even the International Ice Hockey Federation. They don't have to call it a lifetime ban, you know, but the, 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 the people that might employ Deniskin in the future can just choose not to do that. Uh, there's lots of other players and, you know, there's no reason to, to allow him to continue his career that way. So, you know, I don't really have any sense of where. The, the specific league is going to go with the, the suspension here, Julian. But, you know, mm-hmm. needless to say, if, if, if it's light, they will be called on the carpet. There will be a lot of outrage. And I think there are a lot of eyes on this. There's a lot of powerful people in the sport, you know, a lot of them players and, and you know, people in, in management over here in North America, again, a long way away, uh, you know, charting to see how this goes. Yeah. And I mean, it's one thing to have players from across the hockey landscape say something. And it's even a whole other thing to have one of the head people in charge, or I think the actual per- head person in charge in Eugene Kolichev of the UHL say something. And then you have the double IHF, the big governing body that it is putting out a statement condemning this racist act. Like if this is something that the UHL, for whatever reason, soft shoes on, which I don't think they will. I just have this feeling that the double IHF inevitably is going to say, well, no, we're not going to let this stand. Right. And, and you're talking about a president who's been on the job or president elect for two days, right? He was, he was elected over the weekend at a Congress in St. Petersburg, Russia, after 27 years of that organization being run by Rene Fussell who's retiring. You know, I think what's, what's interesting is, is the, the double IHF has faced a lot of heat in the past, whether it's, you know, holding events in Belarus yeah, I know that there are some people out there that don't like that that the the Olympic hockey tournament will be celebrated in, in a country like China in Beijing uh, this upcoming February because of some of the things that have gone on there. You know, obviously we had two Canadian uh, that were held captive for a long, long time released here in recent days, and you know that might change the outlook somewhat. But you know, it's it, all these organizations when you're doing worldwide business, it, it can be murky politically for them. I I, I am encouraged at least though. Uh, that that's a pretty, there's no way to read through that statement that, you know, that what was meant there, what was intended. And, and, you know, I think, again, that just applies more pressure to the UHL and the decision makers on what the punishment will end up being. Okay. The last thing I'll mention on this, and you don't have to give an opinion on it. I feel a little bit more, I guess, torn up about it. Cause so I'll just say it. I was not a big fan of the Daniskin apology, uh, the way he described the act uh, as some act that could be seen with some kind of racist connotation or right. affiliation. That's Come just on. like a, 
it's a lot of legalese to say you did something racist and it's absolute bullshit that and I'm sorry, I'm going to say bullshit here, but it's absolute bullshit that that's the way you choose to describe it. That's the last thing I'll say on that point, unless you want to add something before we close the book on that story. Well, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. And you're not pulling that shit with us. I mean, it's so obvious. It's so brutal. I mean, it's almost not worth referencing. I, I actually saw we should give a shout out to Ken Campbell. Uh, yeah. who actually got to Smerrick on the phone and, and, you know, read his story saying it's that he's dealt with other racist issues over his time in hockey. This was by far the worst. And he mentioned that the apology in particular uh, was, was adding insult to, to what happened here. And so let's hope that the, the punishment will be swift. It will be very severe. And, you know, hopefully that the, the support uh, that, that Smerrick has felt here can, can help him continue. Cause I can only imagine, look, this is his first year playing overseas you know, this is a guy who played in the Ontario Hockey League, was in the, the Arizona Coyotes, uh, you know, system. And, and you know, it's, it's hard enough being away from home. But when you encounter something like this so soon in a foreign place, um, you know, I hope there's people there to support him nearby. Absolutely. I'm glad we were able to touch on this uh, on this podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's kind of go a little bit back towards North America and the National Hockey League and talk about player vaccinations and, and that whole story because... You know, if you're following sports, the status of a player in vaccinations is always going to be a hot bus button issue in the NBA all throughout Monday. Kyrie Irving dominated the headlines with whether or not he is vaccinated or not. He wasn't even at his media day in Brooklyn, uh, but also just in the NHL, them being into the full swing with training camp. We're looking at different players who may or may not be vaccinated. There's Tyler Bertuzzi in Detroit, who I don't think was skating with his team. I don't think Josh Archibald in, in Edmonton was skating with his team as well. There's an unnamed player in New Jersey. I thought he, he would have been named by now. I know my colleague at the Athletic Corps, Masisic, uh, wrote that this was out there, and I thought we would have known about it by now. But as far as I know, at least that as of this recording, we don't know who that player is. What do you make of the fact that there is a part of our, I guess, collective NHL conscience as fans or as media types that are interested in knowing who is and who isn't vaccinated on each NHL team. Well, on some level, look, it's it's important because these these people are in the communities. They're going to be in arenas with fans. Uh, you know, thankfully, that's important for what this industry needs. But, you know, this is a matter where, where you know, I recognize some people want the right to choose, as, as you might call it. But you know, the science is pretty clear here and, you know, they're, they're under a lot of scrutiny too, because they're crossing the border. And, and, you know, the one thing the NHL did that I think is interesting is, is last year players were able to cross the border without being vaccinated because they had applied that the league had applied to the government for something called the national interest exemption. Mm -hmm. This year, the NHL chose not to do that. They didn't seek any special privileges essentially, which is what the national interest exemption is under certain conditions for, for athletes to be able to cross back and forth. And that's why, this has become news because essentially, you know, in a sport with seven teams in Canada uh, and, and, you know, now what is it? My math's off 25 now in the U S with Seattle, yes. um, you know, there's, there's a lot of cross-border travel and, and, you know, really if you play in a Canadian market, there was almost no option. I know I recognize Josh Archibald of the Oilers hasn't at this point, 
uh, been vaccinated. You know, the Oilers are still hoping uh, to convince him to do so. Um, you know, Duncan Keith missed the start of their camp because he was late to get vaccinated. So obviously there's been some dialogue and discussion. I think there was a lot of players, frankly, that until they saw what the, the protocols were going to be for this season that put off that decision. And yes, it's an unnamed player right now in, in New Jersey, but you know, at some point that player is going to have to do a media interview and, and he will have to be wearing a mask. That's part of the protocols. And so, you know, even if discretion or, or secrecy is involved here, you know, it's, it's going to be fairly obvious at, at some point. Uh, when that player speaks to reporters. And so, you know, I, I, it's it's less of an issue in hockey because the, the rules that were put in place are so strict, allow for such little movement and activity. Uh, you know, even on the road, you have to stay in the hotel almost like it was last year for the guys that, that most of the league went and got it. But, you know, I think that some of these situations will still uh, bear watching because, you know, it, it's one thing for Tyler Batuzzi. you know, the Detroit Red Wings only play nine games in Canada this year. Conceivably, mm-hmm. I think to have, a forward miss nine games, you know, there's a way to do that. And and the team, you know, at least at this point, it appears willing to go along with it. But, you know, if, if it's a player like Josh Archibald in, in a Canadian market, you know, the, the Oilers are going to play something, what, 20, I don't even know the number, 20 games in the U.S. Or, or he would have to miss a ton of games going back and forth with quarantines and all those things and what have you. And so, um, you know, we're all trying to get back to normal this season, but this is just one reminder to me that we've opened camp with this, such a focus on this. It's not truly a, a normal season. So, like, another thing, too, is that there, there's the whole idea that, you know, if you're a player and you're, you you do all this stuff that, you know, you think is going to improve your body and whatever, but all of a sudden a vaccine comes in, you're like, oh, you got to watch what's being put in your body. I'm not even going to go into that. It's the whole money thing for me, you know? Like, Tyler Bertuzzi, I think, what, we're talking about six figures he could be losing if he I think it's four to 500 grand. Like what? That's insane. Like, that's just like from a money standpoint, like if, or if you're so down on your whatever morals you're on or, or just against science that you don't want to put this vaccine in yourself. And that's if you don't have some kind of pre-existing health condition, because I understand that is a reason why some people would not get the vaccine. And it's a legitimate one. And I know it's affected people like Rocky Thompson, the former assistant in San Jose, but I understand it could be seen as a legit thing. But if you're just someone who's just like, nah, man, like I'm, I'm going to these anti-vax rallies. I'm going to be going up in front of these hospitals being like, you know what, screw the vaccine and screw first workers, first responders who have been busting their ass, just trying to ensure that the population is vaccinated. Like, you're a nuisance enough as it is, but to cost yourself money, like I just don't see the logic. Well, and that's what this is doing. I mean, we, we forget that essentially the NHL and the teams within the NHL, I mean, it's a private business. And so, yes, of course, Tyler Bertuzzi or anyone else has, has, you know, the right to do what he wants with his or his body in this case, but it's going to have some consequences for him at work. And, and, you know, it, it, it shows, I guess, a lot of conviction in the decision. You know, we saw Sylvain Lefebvre, uh, mm-hmm. who, who worked a long time to get back to the NHL as a coach. You know, he played in the league many years ago uh, with Columbus, got hired earlier this summer, and he's fired before the season even starts because he refused his vaccination and he wouldn't have been able to work, uh, you know, under the rules that were put in place there. And so, you know, in a sense, these are outliers, right? I mean, we're talking about a small handful of individuals among a group. I mean, if we include players and coaches, you're talking about 1,100 people, give or take, um, you know, eight to 850 uh, players, another 200 plus coaches, you know, there's a lot of people around these teams and it's, it's only a few individuals that were on here, but yeah, there's, there's, there's huge consequences. And, you know, I always think of it this way. I mean, obviously the players that, that we're covering in this league earn a lot more money than the average person that 99% of the people 
uh, out there, but it is such an earning window. And, you know, if you give up four to 500 grand, for example, you know, you're not guaranteed to even have a paycheck at age 31 with the way the league's gone, right? It's sure. There's a few notable older players in the leagues that Daniel Chara is still going down with, with the, the New York Islanders, but the vast majority of guys are out of the league, you know, by 30 nowadays. And so that's money you don't get back. Um, hard to understand really from a health standpoint uh, for me, you know, I, I got vaccinated as soon as I could. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't fully understand the arguments. I, I know this is a huge um, thing in society right now that's being discussed, you know, across not just sports, but um, you know, I, I just wonder how how many of these guys will actually get into the season unvaccinated and, and keep their spot. I mean, Tyler Bertuzzi is an important player for the Red Wings. You know, he he's the one that looks like it could happen because it is so few games, as I mentioned. I think he's so important to the organization. And Steve Eisenman's already said that that the organization is allowing him to make that choice. But I'm not sure that'll be the case everywhere else with some of these unsorted situations. Um, you mentioned you got vaccinated as quickly as you could. I'm the same way. And there are a lot of personal reasons why I wanted to get vaccinated, obviously. Um, and I'm sure they're along the same lines as yours. You want to be close to your family. You want to be able to be around them and not have to worry about, you know, not worry as much, I guess, about carrying COVID. But another big reason why I wanted to ensure I was vaccinated, I'm sure you feel the same as well, is the access to being at games. I, I, and that kind of leads to my next question. I know you're at the Leafs Canadians game over the weekend at uh, Scot. I always get this wrong. It's not Scotiabank Arena. It's Scotiabank Arena. I don't know why. You, got you, go, it, from Air Canada, you go from Air Canada Center to Scotiabank Arena. That is a whole other discussion. I but know the, why. Like a, the money got better. Uh, one deal yeah. to the the money, of course, got the Maple Leafs organization. Okay. Yes. All that to say, what was it like um, going through like the protocol, whatever's in place there? Uh, now that's obviously probably quite different from what it was in the playoffs uh, in Toronto uh, as a media member. Well, it got easier, right? You know, I, I actually, if we go back to when COVID started, I, I covered in the bubble uh, mm-hmm. that first summer, both in Toronto and Edmonton, the playoffs then was, you know, very limited number of reporters in the building, obviously no fans. You had to be, you know, get your temperature taken and all these things. Now we've progressed, you know, last season uh, when it came to the Maple Leafs, they were one of the teams actually that that gave a rapid test uh, to anyone entering the building. You had to, to clear a rapid test before being allowed to be in there. Um, so that was the next phase. And now, you know, I was just had to show my vaccination record and fill out a quick questionnaire. It was, you know, fairly easy process getting in and out. Great to have fans in the building. I mean, that yeah. that's just, that's just a selfish thing. You know, it's also... A reflection of reality, though. I mean, this this is a business, and the longer that there's no fans in the building, wasn't going to be good for anyone uh, associated with the NHL. And you know, it also just added a little bit of life, even for a preseason game. You, you, there's no real takeaways from the game itself, or too too deep of takeaways, but just having life in the arena on a Saturday night, you know, felt like a, a, a big step towards normalcy. You know, it seems like in Toronto, they're they're hopeful actually to get you know a full building as soon as possible. Some of the regulations in Ontario you know, at least an indication that, that it might be headed that way. And so, you know, I love that, that we're, we're sort of moving towards that step and, you know, Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg are all going to have full ranks. So, you know, we're, we're behind what's going on in the U S where, where we saw more fans last season, but it does feel like this year will be at least a step in the right direction in that regard. At least uh, by the time everyone listens to this podcast, uh, I will likely be at the bell center uh, taking in a crowd that I think is like a third of capacity, or at least that's what the cap is in, at the Bell Center right now. But uh, yeah, seventy five hundred, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I've been told uh, that I think I just need to like before what you had to do is you had to like fill out some form just to prove that you're vaccinated. I just need like my vaccine passport to get in. So I'm looking forward at least to, you know, a little bit of an easier time uh, getting into an arena. And look, man, I'm, I'm just happy I'm vaccinated. If I have to get a booster shot, whatever. Look, I, I just want to get on with my life at this point. But anyway, I don't want to. And I should mention, whole, too. Yeah, go ahead. I don't think fans really care about media access. Like, like that whenever, too. They don't. whenever reporters go on Twitter and whine about a media access, I get why fans don't like that. But I will say as a reporter, someone who clearly has a bias in this, it's nice that, you know, the, the protocols have been changed. We can get at least a little closer to the player speak in person. I mean, it's a reminder, like zoom is great. And, and zoom, I think has changed, you know, the business world in, in certain ways. I mean, we're doing this right now over zoom and you're in Montreal. I'm in Toronto. We're able to seamlessly record a podcast right now. But, you know, nothing replaces real human interaction, being in the same place. You can, if you, you botch your question, you can just sort of fix it in real time. You know, the Zoom, they, you, get, you get a window and then it goes mute except for the player. You know, it just feels a little more human that way. And, and I think it will be better for the league, the storytelling and all those sorts of things. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to tell my kids in like 20, 30 years, hey, your, your dad once upon a time had to ask questions through a laptop. Those are going to be weird days. Anyway, let's move on from vaccinations. I kind of want an RFA update because we're still going through training camp, preseason's on, and there's like three RFAs still without their dossiers being resolved. And that's the Brady Kachuk dossier in Ottawa, Analyze Patterson, and Quinn Hughes in Vancouver. Do you have any updates on those three players? Yeah, well, they're still skating together in Michigan. So they're, they're, they're hanging out that they've got some company with each other. Uh, while while working through the business side of things here, and and you know what stands out to me really is is the length of term on these contracts. I think that 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 will ultimately hold the key to, to solving all three situations. You know, for Brady Kachuk, you know what he and the Senators had been focused on for the longest time. You know, going back into the summer was trying to reach an eight year contract. You know, we saw Thomas Shabbat uh, sign an eight year deal a few years ago in Ottawa. I think that they are anxious to lock up their their young core players, of of course, which Brady Kachuk is a part of, but, you know, now you're, you're into camp. Um, you, you're not finding the, the common ground needed to, to make that kind of deal work. You know, I think Brady Kachuk would like over $8 million uh, average across, uh, you know, an eight year deal. And so, you know, I wonder about the three-year option, if that's the way to solve this, you know, Matthew Brady's brother signed a three-year bridge deal with Calgary, mm-hmm. the Calgary flames coming out of entry level. You know, so there's some precedent there. It's a way to keep the, the, the number down, for the team and for the player, look, it gives you a chance to to earn money right away, more money than you were earning on your first NHL contract, but also add to your resume and, and at a pretty young age, set you up to negotiate the next deal. And so, you know, I think in Ottawa that that could be, you know, how the, the log jam gets broken up or how maybe they find a solution, um, you know, to their stalemate. And, you know, I would not be surprised to see him get in there on a three-year deal. You know, with the Canucks, it's, it's a little different, right? The dynamic's different. Ottawa's got tons of cap space. You know, the Canucks are, are trying to fit these guys into a small box, a small window of, of available money that they can spend. You know, and I think in a perfect world, Jim Benning, Canucks management would love to sign both guys to an eight-year deal. I mean, they're, they're two most valuable players on the team. You're, you're, you're buying safe years. You're basically buying them all for, for the rest of their 20s when they're going to be at their, their peaks as NHL players. But mm-hmm. they, you, what their values, what their comparables are on an eight-year deal, you can't do. And so generally what teams try to do, right? They, they either tried to sign you for three years, which we call the bridge deal uh, coming out of entry level, 
Some do five years. That was Austin Matthews with the lease was one of the first. And, you know, players like that, because they're only giving up one UFA year and doing that. And then teams, you know, tend to like a six, seven or eight year deal. Uh, because as I say, you're buying basically the, the, the entire prime of a player's life. What you don't see almost ever is a four-year deal, Julian, because that takes a player straight to free agency. You become a free agent after seven NHL seasons uh, or age 25. But I wonder with Elias Patterson if there's a chance you see a four-year deal. And, and if that happened, it would be extremely unusual. You know, I'm led to believe he doesn't have much interest in the three-year option. Uh, naturally, the team would push against the idea of a four-year option just because you know it does take him straight to free agency. But you know, that might be one way to, to solve you know, his situation. Cause as we mentioned in the last show, you know, a five-year mm-hmm. contract maybe gets him to Kirill Kaprizov's number of 9 million. And so, you know, a way to, to keep that average number down below is, is perhaps doing something which we don't see too often as a four-year deal. You know, I, I wonder in the case of Quinn Hughes, you know, if, if a five-year contract makes the most sense for him, that would be one year shy of the six-year deal Kale McCarr got. And, and, you know, really what the teams and players are doing in this situation, right. Is they're, they're, they're trying to, to bend all the comparables in their favor. You know, I think, uh, you know, in both Hughes and Pedersen's, uh, you know, from their side of things, there's tons of favorable comparables now because the market has really taken a jump up uh, during the summer. And so, you know, I think we might see a di- little different terms on their deal also provide a solution. But, you know, at this point in time, I, what I can tell you is it doesn't sound like anything is is certainly inevitable or, or too close, but that can change with one phone call. So basically those three guys are going to just continue skating and just hanging out and just being the best of buddies while the rest of their guys just continue on with their training camps. And not like any other team is going to look at their roster and be like, Hey, how about we tender an offer sheet to one of these three, right? Like that would, that's what would set everything off. If some it, team was just, yeah. It would, but I think that shift has sailed. You know what I mean? Like that was probably going to happen in the summer if it was going to happen. Just there's so few teams that have, the money to, to really take a big swing on an offer sheet. And, and, you know, in the case of Quinn Hughes, he's what's called a 10 to C I believe it is, but you know, he's yeah. actually not eligible for an offer sheet because he hasn't played three, four years in the league. So, you know, I, I don't see the offer sheet really being the pressure point there, but you know, October 12th, October 13th, whenever the first games are for these teams, you know, that is a bit of a pressure point because no one wants to see a player miss real time and, and be playing catch up the whole year. And so you know, I'm still optimistic. You'll see, you know, some resolution here, but we got a couple of weeks to play with before that necessarily comes to comes to pass. Especially for those two markets where those players are not just anybody. Those are players who are supposed to be cornerstones for each of those respective franchises. So appreciate the RFA update because I always like to be uh, in the know about that and also get a sense of how it works in terms of buying UFA years. Thank you for explaining that all to me like I'm five years old. I actually genuinely appreciate it. Um, those cost more. That's that's a thing. You're you're going to be it. on your UFA years, man. You're going to be asking for double on the next podcast. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started. I still need an agent. I heard that you are among the lucky people who were able to watch the uh, all or nothing Amazon series with the Toronto Maple Leafs a little before everyone else. How does it feel to be part of this exclusive club where you get to watch stuff on screeners well before the rest of the public does? I believe the series comes out on Friday. It does come out Friday, but I binged it over the weekend. We had some rainy weather here in Toronto. So I watched five episodes back to back to back to back to back four hours, almost in total, a little less than four hours. And, and, you know, I, I really liked it. It's funny. Like I'm, I'm fascinated to know, what the reaction this thing is going to be. I mean, look at, there's two obvious camps, right? Like if you're a Leafs fan, if you're Dangle or, or Wild, you know, 
you're you're not going to want to watch this probably because it's not really the most memorable of seasons with the way it ended. But it, you know, I still would argue, even as a reporter, and you know, I've been a reporter for a long time. I've run these grays and the whiskers here. <laughs> uh, you know. Yes, I like said that you're an older guy. We get it. You're 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 seasoned. You, you got the, yeah. the, uh, the salt and pepper. Going. I'm just saying I've been around the league a long time and I saw things I haven't seen before and, and, you know, gained access. And, you know, some of it's goofy stuff and fun things, you know, seeing the players interact with their families or just the way they, they, they have fun together. Um, you know, but some of it's also the heat of the moment stuff, you know, during the playoffs, Sheldon Keefe just laying into the team before the overtime in game six. I mean, you know, you, we understand that that's the sort of thing that might happen, but when you don't get to see it, I think it's actually kind of cool and impactful. And so, you know, I, I, I wonder how the team really feels about it. I don't, I don't have that sense yet. You know, I know that Amazon and the NHL did want them to do another season this season and, and the Leafs declined that, that opportunity to do so. You know, I don't want to read too much into that because, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they, they hated it, but, you know, I, I think it is invasive having those cameras around and we all love the content or we love at least getting more something closer to the real thing than we can normally. But you know, I think there's some consequences to that from an organization standpoint. And especially when a season ends the way last one did in Toronto, I can I can understand why they weren't so excited to to sign right back up again. Yeah. Well, the, my, the funniest thing about this to me is that we all know how this ended. Like you're right. not going to go into that series and be like, Oh, I wonder if the Leafs are going to find a way to do this. Like how did Amazon find a way to make that series engaging when anyone who goes into it, who is a hockey fan knows not only how it ended, but how fans are still like reeling off of how the Leafs ended their season. I think they did two things that, that work well from a storytelling standpoint. So they have Will Arnett, who's a noted Leafs fan narrating the series and right off the bat, he says something like it happened again. And it's like the handshake <laughs> line and like all the leaf sadness. And so like right off the top, they acknowledge, of course, you're watching this and you know, this, this didn't go so well. You know, the other maybe more understated thing that I think they used effectively is, is, you know, they showed a lot of scenes throughout the season where Sheldon Keefe is expressing concerns, you know, with leadership on the team, you know, talks with John Tavares or, or general manager, Kyle Dubas, you know, talking about, how he, he, you know, they're, they're getting these results because they did lead the North division in the regular season from wire to wire, mm -hmm. uh, you know, didn't, didn't really face what we would typically call a ton of adversity. I mean, obviously there's injuries and things that every team contends with in every season, but you know, they, they, they kind of foreshadow what's coming and, and, you know, focus in on, I think some of the problems the coach was seeing, even while they were winning a lot of games in regular season that, that, that sort of, you know, popped up in the playoffs and, and, and led to them freezing in the big moment and against the Canadians. And so, you know, I, I think that they were able to sustain it that way, but I will say too, though, that, that what it does is it, it sort of dampens some of the excitement or hype they can build up. I mean, like last season, remember they were, the cameras were there the whole time from day one until, you know, they, they lost game seven against Montreal. And so they got a lot of what I would call good stuff. You know, Austin Matthews won the goal scoring title by eight goals you know, Jack Campbell set a record with 11 straight victories to start the season, an NHL record for a goaltender. You know, obviously the Leafs won their first division in, I think it was 20 years. It's a long time anyway. But you, you, they couldn't really hype those moments up because everyone knows there's a yeah, but there coming. But, you know, given some of those limitations, I think with, with the access, you know, you do see things, you see moments where there's arguments and tension and, you know, some of the best of sports. You know, I, I still think they did well. I, I just don't know... What the how the average viewer is going to view it if they're going to just tune it out or what? But you know, I, I would recommend 
you know, giving it your four hours. And, and I also think teams are going to watch this and not want to be too, too eager to be part of this because, you know, everything can look dumb in hindsight, right? Like there's yeah. a moment, for example, one that jumps into my mind when, when the Leafs are making the deadline deal for, for Nick Foligno, you know, the camera's there in the war room, you have Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas and, you know, Dubas takes a call from Yarmo Kekalainen and, and you can see like he knows he's probably overpaying in that moment, but, and you can see that he's sort of struggling with the decision to a certain degree. Uh, but ultimately he pulls the trigger and the Leafs gave up a first and a fourth to, to get Felino. They gave up another fourth uh, to have an intermediary, intermediary team keep half of his salary. And then, but we we're watching that knowing that that didn't work out. Nick Felino got injured. The team didn't have any success. Looks like a terrible move, but you know, had they won the Stanley cup and you had that footage, you'd be like, wow, like that was a tough decision, but you know, you know, it really paid off. I guess my point is, is everything scrutinized with the benefit of hindsight can, you can look dumb or look like you, you made the, the mistake. And, and so you know, I kind of wonder big picture. I mean, look, I don't watch F1 races, but I did watch Drive to Survive. Like I can see. I still have to watch this, that. You should put it on the list. But I, I can see the future of these kind of series being great for sports. But, you know, hockey culture being what it is, if you want to call it that. I mean, it's let's face it. It's pretty old school and it's decision making and approach to things uh, at the top of organizations. I mean, uh, it's not to say that the new players in the league don't have uh, maybe a different view on some of the stuff, but. You know, I just wonder if how much more of this we'll see because there's a there's a demand there there's there's an audience that craves it but you know it's it's not always the most comfortable to have all your 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 laundry aired. That is very fair. Uh, so by the sense of it, they do address the failures, but they do show things with the Leafs that made them the juggernaut that they were in the North Division. And yes, I use the word juggernaut. I was going to say that that doesn't seem like a con- you know a coincidence you use that word. Thinking about it anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going there this year. I've, I, I, that, <laughs> that messed up my whole year on Twitter. Just one stupid tweet calling the Habs a juggernaut right, you know, right before everything went the wrong way early on. Okay. All right. Then I'll, 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 you have my on, you have my word. This is the last time I'll ever make a juggernaut joke with you. Deal. I will never make a juggernaut joke. I won't hold you to it, but I appreciate the sentiment. I mean, if you do it in episode 28, I'll probably forgive you, but I just don't, I don't <laughs> want to start this season. Anyone thinking I'm throwing labels on like for some reason, what I didn't get is people thought that I was trying to like jinx a team or something. And I was like, no, I just was sitting on my couch watching a game going, oh, this team looks awesome. Um, and that's why now to even use that word, I just think people think I'm trying to mess with the karma and that's just not the case. Guys, CJ is not coming after your team. He doesn't hate your team. He's not even a fan. Well, he's a reporter. Can't really be a fan of any team. He's just in it for hockey like everyone else is. Stop going at CJ. It's okay. (laughs) Jeez. Anyway. um, Yeah. So all or nothing. I believe that series comes out on Friday out on Amazon. I'll have to watch it with all the regular people because I don't have screeners, but that's okay. That's okay. If you want more, of uh, CJ's review of it. Uh, I believe you wrote something in the Toronto star. If I, I did that, yes, you did. I'd uh, send you my screener, but it's, do you know what? They did this thing where my email address is watermarked on the screen. So oh. I guess if like, if you like, sh- you know, copied and shared it to the internet, you'd be outing yourself as you're the one who broke the, the cone of trust. So oh, oh, I've, oh. I've had to keep the password to myself and the link to myself. You're good. You're good. I'll just go on my mom's Amazon Prime account and just watch it through there. 
Uh, before we end off episode two, uh, we have to acknowledge the fact that uh, our podcast did some numbers over the weekend. Uh, it was really cool to open the Apple podcast chart and see like your face as like the top show, not just in sports in Canada, but eventually number one in Canada. So big thanks to everyone who has been subscribing to the show on that platform. And, and CJ, congratulations. You, uh, you want this podcast to be a unicorn and already it starts off with the debut that it has. Yeah, that was awesome. It was overwhelming. Honestly, I didn't expect that. You know, I, I, you know, I, I think I, I had confidence we can build an audience here and do something people are interested in, but I didn't expect that kind of reaction out of the gate. You know, I heard from people in NHL front offices, someone in the NHL office. I heard from someone that, that listened or watched on YouTube from Qatar, uh, from Melbourne, wow. Australia, from Solentuna, Sweden. There's a guy from Finland jumped in my DMs. I mean, that's, that's actually the cool thing. Like it just reminds you, you know, cause you were recording this on an afternoon from my kitchen and looks like your bedroom there, your living room, not sure where you're at, but like it's you my know, office, it, you're not aware your office, you're not aware of when you're recording something, you, you don't know who might be listening or, or watching and what they're doing with it. And, and so, you know, I was really touching. I think it ups the bar for us. We better uh, bring some heat here, buddy, and, and keep, uh, keep the good momentum going. But uh, honestly, thank you for everyone who's out there listening and, and giving it your time and attention. And we're only going to get better, man. It's, uh, it's cool to start something fresh. Like, cause you know, like, I don't know if you ever did this, Julian, but I've, I've looked back and wrote, read some of the first articles I wrote as a sort of a professional journalist, as a paid journalist. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's cringy when you go back to the start of something and see like, you know, cause you get better. And I imagine one day we'll, we'll watch back the first episode and be like, oh, that was so cringe. We didn't even know what we didn't know at that time, <laughs> but, but we're going to learn this thing together and we're going to, you know, we're going to work with you audience too. And, you know, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks everyone for listening uh, to this episode and the first one and for, you know, just making this podcast experience as great as it's been so far. Uh, as we mentioned, the first episode, we're coming at you twice a week. So today's Monday. Next episode will be coming on Thursday. More headlines, more storylines, more banter between myself and CJ. For CJ, I'm Julian. Unless you had one other thing you wanted to add before we were going to sign off here. I thought I'm still the one thing about Zoom to kind of peel back the curtain here. Like when you're not in the same room as someone, like it's the visual cues, whether or not a person's going to like add a point or not. I just want to make sure I don't like miss anything. Well, we've seen your comments. We're going to be on Spotify soon. That's what yes. I say. So yes. you'll be able to find us on every podcast app. Uh, you'll be able to find Julian's work in The Athletic, my work in The Toronto Star. Let's yes. keep it going, bud. Yes, let's do this. For CJ, I'm Julian saying so long. We'll see you or you'll hear us on Thursday on The Chris Johnston Show. Peace. Peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie.